Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. This morning I want to start a brand new series that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks about the gifting, the activity, and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to explore the person and the workings of the Holy Spirit. This is the third person of the Trinity. This is uh, something that is probably not as well known in church circles or, or really in our Christian faith, because if you read the Old Testament, you get very well acquainted with God as Father. If you read the New Testament, then you certainly see that, that Jesus, the Son, you know, this Messiah, the, 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 uh, the coming into uh, humanity, Jesus being the Word made flesh and coming to dwell and tabernacle with us. But the Holy Spirit is a little bit more mysterious, always present, but in many ways silent, intentionally being hidden for a season and for a time. Thus, the work of the Holy Spirit is not readily noticed or even taught about. But if you know who to look for, I notice I didn't say what, if you know who to look for, then you will see throughout all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, the moving, the wooing, and the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you in the room today or those watching online have ever seen something, whether it be in church or maybe on television, that was attributed to the working of God, but it just seemed a little bit weird. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I often tell people I'm Pentecostal without the weird, okay? That's me. Uh, but, but we've all seen something or we've, we've witnessed things that we just say, oh, I don't know, that's a little bit weird. Well, in this series, I want us to maybe demystify, to, to debunk some things, to take out the weird. And here's what I wanna tell you at the onset. The Holy Ghost of God is not weird. Now, people can be weird, trust me. You know this. People can be weird, but the Holy Ghost is not weird. Now, what we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit is unusual. The Holy Spirit is supernatural. The Holy Spirit is extraordinary. And just because I have never witnessed or experienced something before doesn't mean that it's wrong, but it may not mean that it's right. And so we're going to look at what the scriptures say. We're going to uh, uh, exhaust what the scriptures have to say regarding this all-important third person of the Godhead known as the Holy Ghost, if you read King James, or the Holy Spirit, if you read NIV. <laughs> but it is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost of God, the Spirit of the living God. Now, there are a lot of things that get attributed to God that maybe weren't necessarily God at all. God gets blamed for a lot of things, you know what I mean? Well, so does the devil. The, someone said, Satan gave me a cold. No, you went outside in December in Ohio with wet hair and you got a cold. You gave yourself the conditions and opportunity. Don't be blaming that on the devil, just like we blame some things on God. And what you're going to find in the operation of the Holy Spirit is that God does not make you do anything. If God would make us all do things, then we would all be saved. We would be like robots. There would be no love in that kind of activity of twisting our arm and making us do it. 
And so just because someone say, well, God made me do it. Well, I know what it feels like to be so overwhelmed by the presence of God that it feels as though I don't want to get up off of the floor. I know what it feels like to have myself in a prayer line and I, I by the power of God, feel like this, this overwhelming uh, energy that pulses through my body that, wow, God is doing something. And so and it's not that God made me do something, but I have surrendered my life for his activity and for his wooing. There are times in which something will be said or spoken out of my own mouth that I say, where did that come from? I didn't think up that thought. I didn't have that originally, but God moves in his people. And so just because something has not been experienced by us doesn't mean that it's not of God. Let's look at uh, a verse here in, in Acts chapter 19. Here's what God says about the works of the Spirit. Now, God worked unusual. Everybody say unusual. These aren't the ordinary, these aren't the everyday humdrum, but God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. So something was so uh, active in Paul's life, and the anointing of God, the, the ministry that Paul had was was verifiably of God that people who couldn't make it to him wanted to be prayed for by him because they saw the results and the signs and wonders and unusual miracles that were being done in his life. And so they would cut off pieces of Paul's garment, clothes that he had sweat in, that he had ministered in, and they would take those to the people. Now, was there anything magical or mystical about the garments? No but it was a point of contact. It was something that they said, you know what, this has been in the presence of God and by faith in God, not faith in the cloth, by faith in God, there were manifestations of signs and wonders wrought through the ministry of Paul. But Holy Spirit manifestations must be spiritually discerned. That's right, you don't just have to simply accept something that someone claims is from God. When you belong to Jesus, the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, and you can know the Spirit of truth from the Spirit of error. Look at 1 John 4, 1 through 6. It says, Beloved. Now, this is when it says beloved, it's talking to us as believers. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Everybody say that, test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, but you know the Spirit of God. Look at what he says. You know the Spirit of God. You bear witness, your spirit bears witness with God's spirit and God's spirit with yours that you are sons and daughters of the Most High. It says, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. Here is like a, a litmus test. If they're denying the, 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 the humanity and divinity of Jesus, either or, then they're not of God. That's not of God's spirit. But you know the spirit of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God and is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. Did you know that the spirit of Antichrist has been in the world for over 2,000 years? People were looking and reading the news and trying to find out, oh, is this the Antichrist? Is that person the Antichrist? Some of you that, that uh, have been around for a little while, you're more interesting in age. You know, you're just more interesting in age. You remember that years ago, they were saying that Henry Kissinger is the Antichrist. I mean, there's been all these leaders and all these people. And here's the fact. There have been world leaders through ages and through centuries that have arisen and have operated in the spirit that is anti to Christ. 
And here's what John's saying is that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. It's in operation through people. It's, it's influencing kingdoms and powers and rulers and principalities. And he says, but you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, and the world hears them. You know, they have a native language. They speak the world's language, and the world likes that, and the world hears that. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What's John saying? You have the ability to discern. We're going to look in uh, a couple weeks, we're going to go into the spiritual gifts and we're going to kind of uh, break them up into the power gifts, the vocal gifts, the, the, uh, the, the, the sign gifts. We're going to go into all those. And you'll find this, discernment is not a gift of the spirit. Now, now before you write me a letter, <laughs> discernment is something that you get through experience, you get through knowledge, you can discern. Discernment is something that is internal by the Spirit of God weighing right and wrong. Here's, here's what Charles uh, Spurgeon said. I like this. He said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Right and almost right. Discerning of spirits is a gift of the Spirit. But just discernment, that's not a gift that's listed as a gift of the Spirit. It is a gift from God, and, and by nature, the third person of the Trinity gives all of these gifts and distributes them, and Jesus gives these gifts, and so I guess, okay, you could say that's, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's not one that's listed in our categories or list of it. And so you can have discernment of spirits. You can discern whether it is a spirit of error, spirit of truth, without operating in the gift of what we see in 1 Corinthians of the gift of discerning of spirits. It's, it's something a little bit different, a little nuanced. So hang on and we'll get there. We'll, we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about things like speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy and miracles and faith and healings. We're going to talk about things like uh, words of wisdom and words of knowledge. I believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, anything that happened in this is possible and likely to happen today. Can I get an amen? I am not a cessationist. I don't believe that the spiritual gifts stopped with the last apostle. You know, that's what's being taught in some places is that spiritual gifts were only for the first century church. They were only to establish a church. And so now we're just on coasting mode. Like we've already had that, that era is gone. Can you imagine John, the last apostle, someone's rushing to get there to pray for him. It's about 95 AD and he's just about to die. And someone's like, I better get my loved one to the apostle John for healing. Cause if he dies, there's no more healing. And you're second in line and the first one gets their prayer and he dies. Oh my goodness, it ceased. No more miracles, no more signs, no more wonders. No, 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 no. Everything that happened in this book is still available today to the believer. Can I get an amen? amen. If it happened in the early days of the church, it can happen today. But there's a reason why we don't see things happening in the church today that we see in the, in the New Testament church is because we don't do the things the New Testament church did. So we don't get the results the New Testament church got. Ouch. I know, it's tough. But there is a spiritual rigor. There is a spiritual 
discipline. What is discipline? It is putting yourself under subjection of. The disciples were the disciplined ones of Jesus. We don't like discipline much in our day and age because we can just choose something else. We, we have so many voices, so many opportunities. We don't have to stay under a line of discipline. We can just go and do something else and pick other options. But in Jesus' day, in the disciples walking with Jesus, there was only one master. They could see him, they could touch him, they could eat with him. Can I tell you that there is still only one master? There is still only one voice. And he speaks to his flock and the sheep hear his voice. They follow the shepherd and another they will not follow. Jesus is still speaking today. And it says, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. First Corinthians 2, 14, I didn't give them this. You can write this down. The natural person does not accept the spirit of God for they are spiritually discerned. First Corinthians 2, uh, 12 and 10, discerning of the spirits is a spiritual gift. First Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three speak in a corporate setting and let the others weigh what is being said. And so it shows you that, that there is a time to, to kind of judge these things. Now I want to read to you first John 2, 27, because I want to teach for a moment here before we go into the next part of our service, I want to teach on something that seems to be unusual. Everybody say unusual. And it is the topic and the application of and the manifestation of anointing. What is anointing? Well, in 1 John 2, 27, I don't think I gave them this, but you can write this down. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you, but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things that are true and not a lie. And just as it, has, as it has taught you, you abide in him. So the anointing is a teacher. What did Jesus say that was expedient for him to do? He said, it's, it's good that I go away because if I don't go, then the helper, the teacher cannot come. Who is the teacher? The Holy Spirit. So when Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended to the right hand of the father. The day of Pentecost happened, which was proof positive that Jesus had been seated at the right hand of God, that he had made that journey and that he was now interceding for us. And he said, the spirit of truth will come. I will send you another paraclete in the Greek, which is helper. I'll send you a helper. It's the Holy Spirit as our helper. And this unusual practice of anointing is both tangibly physical and also invisibly spiritual. Hear me, there is a tangibility of anointing and there is an invisible, sometimes even uh, undistinguishable anointing that can come upon us. But this is something that is both a Jewish practice and a Christian practice. It's been around for thousands of years. The concept of anointing is one that started in the Old Testament, we see that anointings were for priests, for kings, and for tabernacle furniture, things that were set apart and set aside for God. So you take something that is ordinary, like a human being, and you set it apart by God, to God by anointing it or rubbing it. The, the word anoint means to rub or to smear. So they would anoint it with what? With oil. Now, Jesus most people think has a last name of Christ, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a designation, a title, an office 
an authority that designates who and what he does, who he is and what he does. Jesus Christ means the anointed one. So they were all along looking for someone to come and to break them out of the yokes of their bondage for a redeemer, for a Messiah, for a Christos, a anointed one. And Jesus, Yeshua, his Jewish name, Yeshua, Jesus, our Joshua, or Yeshua, Jesus Christ is a designation of the anointing, the anointed one. So anointing in the Old Testament was a practice where they would take oil and they would put it on someone for a sacred purpose. Look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10. This is David, King David's anointing. It says, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel, and you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Now, anointing of a king by taking a flask of oil, they would also burrow out, have a horn that is, is hollow, and they would fill the oil in a horn, and they would dump it on someone's head. And I'll say that this is unusual for sure. This is not a typical kind of anointing. It's not usually what we do in our church settings. But I'll go on record and say, I have been anointed like that before. Only once, they've got a picture. 17 years ago, when I was ordained, this local body anointed me for service into this church. And we had some elders and some people uh, that were helping us from another church. And, and one of the guys, the guy that, that's praying there, Pastor Wayne Fox, he said, now make sure when you come to the anointing service, the, the ordination service, don't wear any clothes that you want to last beyond that day. Now we used to wear ties in those days. And there's nothing wrong with wearing a tie. If you've got a tie on, there's no condemnation. I just like to be a little more comfortable, okay? So usually if I wear a tie, it's at a funeral. That's okay, or a wedding maybe. But I wore a tie that day. And I wasn't anticipating what they were going to do. But when they called me forward to anoint me and to ordain me, he took this vial of oil, this, this bottle of oil, and literally dumped it on my head. I said, buddy, you better have Bible for that. We got Bible for that. It's in there. Because at David's anointing, they dumped the oil on his head. And you can read in Psalms, it says how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment that flowed from Aaron, the priest Aaron, from his beard and down onto his garments and onto the floor. It's like that sweet smelling aroma of that oil that fell down. And so there is this anointing in the Old Testament of priests, of kings, of people who are going to be set apart to do God's will and God's purpose. They are designated as different from the world. What is the purpose of anointing? There is a purpose of anointing. Anointing will take the timid and make them tenacious. The anointing will take the bashful and make them bold. The anointing will take a prodigal and cause them to be a prophet. The anointing will break the yoke and destroy every burden on your life. That's the purpose of the anointing. Now, this was the Old Testament example of what anointing was to be like. And, and it is an unusual practice to, to anoint like this. Now, we're not going to anoint like that today, okay? Just to let you know. We are going to do oil anointing, but not like that. Nobody's getting doused that away. We're not ordaining anybody today. But there is something very special 
There is something significant about the anointing of God. Many of us like Psalm 23. You like Psalm 23, the shepherd's Psalm? I love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Is the Lord your shepherd? You, you walk through all of the, the, the different aspects of the, the, the shepherd's Psalm and you get to the place where he says, thou, O Lord, anoints my head with what? Oil. And something else runs over. What runs over? Your cup, your joy. There's something about knowing that you are God's set apart, designated person, that there is something that God is doing for you. And so they anoint their head with oil. Now, this is important to a shepherd. You know why? Because when a shepherd would be walking through the, 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 the wilderness, they would get to a, a mountain pass. And these mountain passes were not burrowed out and, and nicely constructed roads that we see today, but sometimes they were very narrow passages. And the shepherd would have to care for the sheep and make sure all of the sheep were able to, to get around the, the mountain passes. And there would be jagged rocks that would come out. There would be briars and there would be thicket. And if you would get a sheep that has full uh, wool all over them, that's in growth time, and they would get stuck in that thicket, it would be very difficult for a shepherd to get that sheep out of the thicket. Because what would likely happen while he's trying to get one out, what the other ones want to do? They want to play, right? And they all get in there. So a shepherd would take anointing oil olive oil that had been crushed olives and he would anoint their heads with oil so that when they would go through those mountain passes, whether it's a jagged rock or it's briars or it's anything, it would just simply slide right by. It wouldn't stay in their hair. It wouldn't get them all caught. It would slide right by. And here's what happens when you get alone with God, when you get into the presence of the holy, when you are anointed of the Lord, there are things in your life that will trip up other people, but it just slides right by you because you have been anointed. He has anointed my head with oil. My cup runs over with joy. I have a touch of God on my life and there is a purpose for what he is doing in my life. Psalm 45 and seven says this, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is like being anointed for living. You ever notice how that bad times visit everybody? Whether you're saved or you're centered, bad times are gonna knock at the door. And God has a way of causing his own to receive a revelation and receive an anointing that regardless of what I go through, I'm never alone, that he's with me. And this is an, a gladness of my heart to know that I've been anointed with oil of gladness even beyond my companions. People around me may not understand. They may say, where does that joy come from? It's down, 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 down in my heart. Yeah, it's down in my heart to stay. Anybody else got that joy of the Lord? Come on, it doesn't always put a smile on your face, but it puts a warmth in your heart. It is the joy of the Lord that is my strength. Luke chapter four, I wanna to read to you Jesus' first message. I, I had a, a lot of time to come up with a message because I've been off a while, but I couldn't improve upon this one. This is the best message anywhere, right here, Luke chapter four. It's Jesus' first message publicly to preach. But I have to set the stage for you and tell you that in the previous chapter, Luke chapter three, Jesus had just been baptized and then he had been driven into the wilderness by the spirit of God and he was tempted 40 days and 40 nights and he had fasted for that time. Jesus comes out of that scene. He emerges out of that wilderness of temptation and he comes to the temple, the synagogue. 
He is at the place of prayer, the place of worship on the appointed day, and he is handed a book. Now, here's, here's what I love about this. It was customary in Jewish time that they would give the, the person reading that day the book, the scroll, whatever uh, scroll, and they would start reading where they left off the previous week. You want to talk about the timing of God? You want to talk, talk about timing being right on? I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. God's never late. He's seldom early. He's an on-time God. Right on time. After all that had happened in the previous 40-some days in Jesus' life, he comes to the temple, having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He had defeated all of the onslaught of the enemy. And it just so happens that when he's handed the scroll, he walks in, and it happens to be a scripture out of Isaiah, perhaps the greatest prophet of all times. And it says in verse 16, so when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Now he's in his hometown. As it was his custom. So Jesus was a regular church attender, as it was his custom. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and was handed him the prophet, book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book right in the place, he found where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I like this part. It says he closed the book and he sat down. <laughs> Sermon over. Somebody say, I'd like to go to that church. Three minutes and out. <laughs> Not today. I got five weeks. I got to get you, get you caught up. But that's what he does. And Jesus said that he has anointed me. This is a, an affirmation of what he already heard at his baptism where the heavens open and he heard this voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now here's the thing. The anointing can be tangible and physical, like with oil, like we, we saw in the Old Testament, we're going to see again, it, it, it re rehearses itself in the New Testament. But it can also be intangible and spiritual. We never see where Jesus was ever anointed with oil. But he said he was anointed. How many believe if Jesus said he was anointed, he was anointed? How many believe that if his designation and title, not his last name, Christ, if his designation and title is the anointed one, Jesus is anointed? He said, he has anointed me. And that means he has been smeared and rubbed with the presence of Almighty God. See, Jesus was human and divine. He laid down, read Philippians chapter 2, he laid down those divine attributes. He emptied himself while becoming like us so that he was tempted in all points as we are, yet he was without sin. And therefore, Jesus was anointed as a man to operate and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't see that he was ever with oil, but there was an anointing on his life. The past few weeks, over a month, we, we've, we've traveled from coast to coast, and I went down south, and, and I'm just going to tell you, not everything I did last month was spiritual. There's some things that were not spiritual at all. That's okay. Because I was able to witness and to see some dark regions of our country, people who are desperately seeking happiness and they're finding it like 
going after a drug, just a little hit, they get a, a piece of happiness, but there's no lasting joy. And someone said, well, aren't you afraid you're gonna be tempted in those environments to sin? Well, no. Why would I want, a thousand times no, why would I ever want to go back to the hog trough of where I came from? He bought me and he sought me with his redeeming blood. But what it shows you is a picture of humanity. If we're not careful, church, we can insulate ourselves with everybody that's nice and everybody that's clean and everybody that's saved, especially pastors. We go to pastor's conferences, we go to church meeting, we're always a church people, and we can forget what it's like to be dirty. We can forget what it feels like to be in the dregs of degradation, to be dredged down with sin sickness. But in those environments, when you see things and you witness things that people, they're, they're searching for happiness and they're never going to find it in that place, the anointing on your life serves as an oil that will insulate you. And it serves as a light that is, is burning in your life to be a, a light in a dark place. Where did Jesus frequent when he was on earth? Well, he knows, we know it's his custom to go to synagogue. But other than Sabbath day, where else did Jesus, did he spend all of his time in the temple? He was out on the highways and the hedges. He even got ridiculed for eating with wine bibbers and drunkards. I believe that it would be appropriate for us to rub shoulders with some people who are awfully hungry spiritually. You might find them at church, but you're more likely gonna find them outside of these four walls. And the anointing on your life will do for you what oil in a combustion engine does. 95% of us arrived here today because we started our automobile and we drove in to church. The rest of us were watching online. <laughs> but a combustion engine operates in such an amazing way, I don't understand all the ins and outs of it. Maybe some of you are mechanics, you understand that, but, but I don't have to understand it to operate it and to use it. I just start my engine and go. But if you will research a little bit, a combustion engine has oil on the inside of it. And that oil has multiple purposes. One purpose is to lubricate all the parts so that, that they run smoothly. And uh, that, that is a primary purpose, but there are some other things. Uh, another purpose of oil in an engine is to cool the oil or to heat it, depending on the conditions external. Hear me. Depending on what the external conditions that you go into, the anointing may have a different effect in your life. The anointing of God may activate differently depending on the conditions. It also has a purpose of sealing any open parts so that contaminants and bad things don't get in. The, the anointing oil does this in our lives. Just like in a combustion engine, it actuates. It actually activates things inside of the engine to make it run smoothly. And the last thing that oil in a combustion engine does is it cleanses. And so there are times that you get so many miles on your combustion engine, what do you have to do? You have to you take out that plug and change the oil. And what you put in as this gold thick oil sometimes comes out as very thin black gunk, right? You know, your oil's dirty. I don't know about you, but there's been many a times since I said yes to Jesus at 17 years old that I've had to make a trip back down to the altar and say, Lord, touch me again. 
Welcome, Holy Spirit. Be here in your presence. Fill me with your power. Yeah, it was one trip that I said yes to Jesus. My life was radically changed forever. But in 27 years of serving Jesus, there's been some oil changes in my life. There's been some times where I've had to go and say, God, I got to get rid of some of this gunk in my life. I've got to let some things, I've got to un unplug this thing. I got to let this out. I got to let this flow. I need your presence afresh and anew. I need, I need to, to sense you in this area of my life. I, I'm, I'm struggling, God. I need to, to feel your power and your presence moving in my life. Anointing is something that occurs every single time you worship God. It is like a spiritual oil change when you come in to worship God. There is more than enough supply. There is every single day fresh manna from God, a supply of God in our lives. Before we close, I want to read from the book of James. This is the brother of Jesus. This is written after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Jesus' brother, James, he writes these words in a way of instructing the church on an ancient practice that gets repackaged for Christian living. And I love this. It says this, James chapter five, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? And we should just define sick because we think of sick as <coughs> I've got a cough. But how many know that there is a whole bigger range of sickness than just what physically happens to the organs and the structures of your body. People can be sick mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Things we've gone through in life can cause a sickness on our soul, a weight on our life. And here's what James says, writing to the church, he says, if anyone among you finds himself suffering or they're sick, let them call for the elders of the church. Now, what are the elders of the church? In our local assembly, we have elders by office, people who have been ordained and, and their, their call is to be an elder in office. As the pastor of this church, I'm an elder in office. But eldership in the New Testament church and in our, our day today is a little bit even broader than that. Elders are people who are recognized with the gift and the calling and the ability to lead others in the cause of Christ. Maybe they are uh, known to have manifested spiritual gifts in their life and so they are someone we can look up to. James says, there are elders in your church, whether by office or by function, there are elders. Call them, call upon the elders of the church. Let them pray over him or them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. How do we pray? We pray in the name of Jesus. When we anoint with oil, when we pray for someone, we don't pray over a cloth or we don't pray a flowery prayer. We pray in the name above every name. It says in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What's that mean? Well, some of the things we do 
get us into trouble, get us in quagmire. We're like those sheep that are walking through without anointing and we get it stuck in the briars. And so he's covering everything. He's saying, if you've committed sins, you're gonna be forgiven. But not everything that happens to us is because of our own sinfulness. Some things happen to us just by nature of us living in a broken world that is cursed with the curse. (laughs) And Jesus came to reverse the curse. Somebody say, that's right. (laughs) Jesus came to reverse the curse. And so James gives us this instruction that the the anointing of a person which was designated in the Old Testament for kings and priests or tabernacle furniture is now available for the body of believers. Whether you see it or not, many times in our services during the worship time, someone will come forward and we'll pray with them. And sometimes that's all it is, is just a prayer. But at other times, they will request anointing, to be anointed. There is something that needs to be given unto God and to be released or something that I want in my life as a result of someone praying the name of Jesus over me. Revelation chapter one tells us that we are kings and priests unto God. In the Old Testament, they would only anoint people of high stature and authority. But James gets to the point where he says, you know what, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, since it dwells in you, now you can also have the anointing. The same anointing that kings and priests had is now available to the priesthood of all believers. Everyone has the ability to walk in and to be anointed by God. I say yes to Jesus. The anointed one comes to live on the inside of me. And I call for the elders of the church when I'm in need and brothers and sisters come and join with me in their ranks of faith. And we stand together in this world as people of the most high God. So at closing, I'm gonna ask for the elders of the church to come. You know who you are, come. Stand up here in the front. And when they begin to sing, I want everyone to stand with us as you begin to sing. If there's a need in your life, if there's something that you would like to be prayed for, come forward, we will anoint you with oil. We will pray the prayer of faith and we'll believe God to do the miraculous.